Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. A new day has dawned. 137 off-season episodes we sweep aside and the regular season begins here on Fantasy NBA Today. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday to you all. It's big Wednesday coming up tonight. Little Baby Tuesday in the rear view, but basketball has happened once again. Boston beat Philly. Warriors beat the Lakers. No colossal surprises on opening night, although, you know, the Boston-Philly game probably could have gone either way if you thought maybe the Boston bad vibes would take things over. But, nah, I mean, that was, you know, too much, too much good on opening night. Too many, too much chip on the shoulder for that to come in. And then Philly also, they got to figure out how to play some defense. But anyway, we'll get into all that. Uh, first, hi, everybody. I'm Dan Bespris. Welcome to the show. I hope you guys have been uh, doing what I requested and finding me on social media. It's at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. I used to spell it military letters, not because I knew anything about it, but just an easy way to do it kind of on radio. Bravo Echo Sierra. Bravo Romeo India Sierra, I think was what it used to be. I don't know, it's been a while. Uh, so I'll talk to you guys on social media. Um, we're going to do a lot over there. And already this morning over on social, we've had reactions to a couple pieces of morning news. Like, we're going to talk about that type of stuff on podcasts. Make no mistake. If you have no problem in waiting for the Daily Pod, we'll get to the big pieces of news that break. But if you want it faster, if you're going to be reacting to it, if there's pickups, things like that, that you're racing people to in your in your leagues, we got to do it on social together. So that's at Dan Baspers and then at Ethos Fantasy BK for basketball, BK. Ethos Fantasy BK, that's where all the news is coming out. Fast and Furious, the guys over on the Newswire are providing analysis as well. If you click on the links they post, or you can just, you know, I'll probably quote, t- quote tweet, Hard to say, some of the bigger ones. And uh, so we'll do a lot of work over there on social. As far as the in-season podcasting game goes, the format of our show changes uh, pretty dramatically overnight. From kind of doing whatever the hell we want on a day-to-day basis, which, you know, there was a format to it as we ramped our way up into the season, but for a lot of the off-season, I kind of did whatever the hell I wanted. And that's fine. We can't really do that anymore. We got to get into the mix. We got to review what happened the night before. As much as I don't want this to be exclusively a box score show, the things that happened the previous night are generally the biggest news stories of the day, with the exception of when you get little injury nuggets and things like that. So today, which is a little bit different today than than like when you're really getting into the grind of the full season, but today we'll kind of have our first look at an in-season episode. For those that have been here for a while, you know what's coming. For those that are relatively new to the pod, we will review what happened the night before. We'll review any news that occurred over the previous 24 hours, which that that part we were kind of doing anyway, but there just uh, weren't um, that wasn't that much news <laughs> that that happened during the off season, especially even into the preseason. Um, and then, and we're not going to do this every show, but some shows. We'll take a look at what's coming that night, meaning a little bit of kind of a look ahead. What are we looking for on the evening's games? 
And a lot of times I'll do a little bit of that on social media as well. We used to call it the What to Watch For segment. However, whatever you want to name it, that's important. I think more so right now because there's so much stuff going on and it's kind of easy to get lost in the mess. I also try to do little things like that leading into the weekend when you guys are not going to hear from me for a couple of days. A few, really. You know, we do the Friday show and then Saturday, Sunday, you're kind of on your own a little bit. And then Monday, we loop back around and look at what happened on the weekend. But, you know... Friday show, we drop Friday show, and you guys are like, all right, well, we got like three days of games that are going to happen between now and the next podcast. What are we expecting? What are we looking for? How do we react to it? We can't predict everything, but if you got your eyes on certain stuff, then you can be a little more prepared than the other teams in your fantasy league, and you can get to guys quick. And that's generally how things are going to go. We're going to get some different... Uh, we're going to get guests on the show this year in some capacity. It's not going to be a ton because I'm still in an endless loop of trying to get children to and from school safely and fed and things like that. Uh, next year, I think the kids will probably be in school for like five plus hours per day, both, even the little one. Then we'll definitely get guests. Next year is going to be like a guest of Palooza. This year, I want to get some. In particular, I want to make sure we get some of our guys internally here at Sports Ethos on the show. They're so good at what they do, uh, but they... They toil in anonymity behind a screen writing while I get to yell stuff at you. And for that reason, you guys just sort of know me better. You can put a voice to a name. Sometimes you can even put a face to a name. Because we do live shows, me and Brew, every Thursday. But let's dive into it now. You guys kind of know how this season's going to go. Many of you, I'm sorry, you've probably heard that spiel before. We've done this a few times. Yes, it's true. But there are new listeners every year, and I want to make sure you know kind of how we're going to comb our way through this stuff. Short card to break down yesterday, which is probably good. We kind of just, like, dip our toes in the water today. And also, not a ton of surprises on yesterday's card, which is going to allow us to go through the games a little bit more uh, thoroughly. Almost delicately, to a certain degree. Because, like, I don't much talk about the big names on this podcast once the season gets going. Like, once your draft is done... A guy like James Harden was drafted, and unless something crazy happens, like Harden goes through a two-month spell where he averages four assists, I'm probably not going to bring him up, but we will today. We're just going to go through it. So on the Philly side, they lost in Boston, 126-117, pretty high-scoring game. Pace actually wasn't that crazy. Everybody just made shots. If this was a playoff series, I'd bet the under like a 1,000 times out of a 1,000 in their next ball game because the teams shot 50 and 56% between the two of them. 56 free throws, only 24 combined turnovers. I mean, this thing had, like, reversion to the mean written all over it. But for fantasy purpose, it was, it was great because we're not betting it. That's a playoff thing we like to do. Uh, James Harden got off to a quick start. No steals or blocks, but perfect at the foul line. That's one of the big reasons you drafted him. He actually made a lot of his field goals, too, which was good. Uh, but overall, assists were pretty low for Philly. They didn't move the ball well. Boston... Even though their defense wasn't great in this game, it was enough to kind of force Philly into a low ball movement offense. Um, and that drove down Harden's assist. But hard to argue with 35, 8, and 7 with five three-pointers. Joel Embiid, I think I would have liked to see him do a tiny bit more. His usage was really high. Um, I know it's weird to say 18 shots and nine free throws. I want to see a little bit more. But I feel like he could have done more. One block, only 26 points. That could have been a bigger number. Tyrese Maxey looked pretty good, efficient, kind of got in the mix more as the game went on. I am a little bit concerned, and I know that 
almost every analyst on the planet is very pro Tyrese Maxey this year. I might be the only one who's like, I think he probably does what he did last year again. Um, you know, can the efficiency stay as high as it was last season? Can we get rebounds and assists mixed in with this stuff? Because the steals, the efficiency, that type of stuff, I feel like that sticks. Uh, and then the other stuff is going to be, can he take that jump forward? Is that going to be where it happens? Tobias Harris wasn't as terrible as expected. However, I would caution all of those who are celebrating Tobias Harris, who had a decent opening line night. He was a fade. I don't want, like, this is hard because we've been pro Tobias Harris on this podcast, basically from the day the show started. And then this year, I tried to make very clear on the show that I was fading Tobias in his current role. But he made half of his shots. He did have 18 points. He had three steals, which is very uh, not sustainable for Tobias, someone who's averaged about one or a little less than that throughout his career. Only two boards, zero assists. This bodes very poorly, actually, because we knew he was going to play. The question was, how much would he figure into the offense? And here he was basically a spot-up shooter slash slasher. So honestly, like, if you took Tobias in the 70s or 80s or something like that, see if you can move him for anybody else that got taken in the 70s, 80s, because, like, he'll get a few more rebounds some nights, but this is otherwise probably about as good as it's going to get on a night-to-night basis. He'll have that, like, rare big game, but it'll be buttressed against some bad ones, and this is probably, like, a slightly above-average night for him. The only other name on the Philly side I want to bring up is DeAnthony Melton, who only played 20 and a half minutes and really didn't get involved. His usage was only nine. That's a problem on opening night. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. I'm going to stick with him because uh, he was a late guy that we liked a little bit on this show. He's on the old man squad. Not my favorite pluck in that 115-120 range, but he did make the list. And I think he'll settle in at some point. I think you'll see stretches where he gets to be out there and actually kind of semi-in control. But that just wasn't the case yesterday. And something to watch very carefully is who is Melton on the floor with? Is there ever a point where he's on the floor without Harden or Embiid? Meaning a point where he could kind of be one of the alphas. But if he's not, if he's exclusively a beta or... A gamma, I guess. No. Yeah. Delta, gamma, delta. I don't know what order Greek alphabet goes in. I think gamma's next. Uh, maybe delta. It's one of those two, I think. Regardless, that's not great. So let's keep a close watch on this. You're not dropping him after one bad game because, look, I, you know, I had him in Roto Leagues and I didn't start him yesterday. And I probably should have talked about that on the podcast. So my apologies for not bringing it up. Frankly, in doing yesterday's pod, I hadn't even really gotten that far in my day yet. But that's a thing to look at at the beginning of the year. You don't want to throw guys into your lineup that you don't think are guaranteed top 90 or better players on opening night. And he's very much not a guaranteed top 90 until he finds his place. Which I think will happen. How long? I don't know. But let's keep an eye on it. Meanwhile, over on the Boston side, Tatum and Brown had huge games apiece. Uh, For Jalen Brown, we've seen this story before. He's gotten off to really hot starts. Then the knee starts acting up. The field goal percent comes back down towards high 40s. Free throw percent comes back down towards high 70s. And then he settles into that 50 range where he pretty much always is. This is a fantastic game. You're not going to be able to sell high after one night. If you got him in the 30s or 40s, you probably just ride it out. Enjoy it. If you got him in the 50s or 60s, that's probably where he should have been anyway. Cool beans. Um, This is a big game for Tatum. Field goal percent obviously way over the norm. 
who cares? Like, these are the big names. Doesn't really matter after one day. I'd rather look at some of the more peripheral guys on this team. For one, you guys know I'm a, a massive Al Horford proponent, and he got off to a slow start. There's no arguing that. Six points, five boards, couple threes, and an assist. Only 23 minutes. This was called Happy Joel Embiid Day. Walk into the league, got it, or walk into the, the first day of 2022's season, and you got to deal with the center that's going to just knock you around uh, all night long. Horford was not really in what you'd call, like, strict foul trouble, but Boston just had nothing they could do there. So for stretches, they kind of spread the floor. They went small. They went big. Nothing really worked on Embiid, uh, but they scored enough, and and that was important. Horford's going to be fine is the short version. Dude is the starting center on this team. He was brilliant last year, even as the power forward, and there's sort of no reason for that to change here. So don't panic after one game against Joel Embiid. Uh, the good news department, Malcolm Brogdon, who Brewski gave out on this podcast, not one of the guys that I've been targeting really, but um, had a really nice first game for the Celtics here, 16-2-4 with a couple of steals. Shot over his head from the field at 7 for 11 That's not something that you're going to see every single ball game. Um, but you know what? You take it when it comes. No threes, about 24 minutes. Um, that's on the fringe of like enough time for him to really get it done. We'll see how he settles in over the course of the year, uh, but that's a really nice, uh, a good first game for him. He's should be rosters at, at this point. Again, a couple weeks ago on, with Brew on a Friday, he told you to draft him anyway. So, um, yeah, I mean, nothing more to add really on Brogdon. He should have been on rosters anyway. Marcus Smart, we won't really talk about him. He's going to be rostered everywhere. Grant Williams, who Brew and Josh Millman gave out as kind of a deep sleeper on this podcast, went five for five from three-point range in 24 minutes. I am not quite as bullish on Grant as those dudes are. I think, again, it probably falls a bit more in the slightly deeper zone. Um, but, you know, he could push towards top 100, depending on how things go, and that does play in a lot of leagues. Uh, as far as, like, a 12-team roto, eh, probably not, because, you're, you're again, you're really only trying to start guys that are, like, top 85, top 90 or better and that you can guarantee it. Um, I don't think you're going to kick yourself that much if you miss out on Grant, because, again, you're talking, like, best-case scenario, probably, like, 90 range. He profiles a little bit kind of like a Dorian Finney-Smith style with fewer rebounds, but way better three-point percentage, just extremely efficient. So there's a lot to like about Grant. He makes, in my mind, a lot more sense in head-to-head because he's going to help percentages. He's going to play. He doesn't, you know, he's he's grinds it out. Gets you three-pointers without hurting field goal percent. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, and then in most games, I think you'll probably see him, if he plays 24 minutes, he'll get a few more rebounds. He'll get a steal here and there. Um, so for me, he's kind of hovering right on the border. Uh, but head-to-head leagues, he does actually make some sense. Roto, probably not quite as much when you're hunting that big upside play, which certainly if you're on the Boston side, Brogdon uh, tips more in that direction. Game two, Warriors beat the Lakers, a game that was not as close as the final score would indicate. Lakers were just so horrid in the third quarter, a game that was actually relatively close throughout the first and second quarters and then just opened up a gaping wound, mostly because the Warriors started raining in threes. And, you know, the funny thing was I watched this game from start to finish. I was kind of curious what the Lakers would look like. I actually thought defensively the Lakers were a lot better in this game than almost any game they played last year. But God love that team. They could not hit a three-pointer until late in the fourth quarter. But at that point, they were already down 20 points. 
It was too late. I believe there was a stretch midway through the third quarter where the Lakers were 2 for 20 from downtown. You're just not going to win if you shoot 2 for 20 from three-point line. They ended up with 10 threes, but again, a lot of that was garbage time stuff. Warriors had 16 threes, uh, but they made theirs a couple of them earlier, and then Andrew Wiggins hit three in a row right at the end of the ball game. <laughs> That's so silly. Like Wiggins with four three-pointers. He got hot. He made one contested three from the corner, and then he just banged in two more. I think they were both from the left wing, or one was left wing and one was top of the circle maybe. Either way, like a four three-pointer game for Wiggins, I don't think you can I don't think you can count on that on a night-to-night basis. But looking at the Warriors' side, big game from Wiggins. There's no like, we're not going to deny that. However, this is about as good as it's going to get. Like, he's not going to rebound in the regular season like he did in the playoffs. There just isn't enough on the line. He's knocking it four three-pointers every game. He was on his way to one three-pointer before he went bananas. He had 11 points at that point. It was like an 11-5-3 late in the fourth quarter, and then boom, 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 three three-pointers and a rebound, and all of a sudden, massive game. And that's how it can happen sometimes but not most of the time. Jordan Poole is a, again, after one game, you're not going to be able to buy low on Poole, but if you can sort of buy at equal value on Jordan, I would do it. He was very involved in everything the Warriors did yesterday. I know 28 minutes, you're like, oh, I wish he could get to like 33 or something like that, and maybe he will some games, but like seven assists is glorious, the steals, 15 shots, all of that stuff is more than enough for Poole to do a ton of damage. He's a great draft pick that folks got in kind of the 60s. And if you have someone you could move near there to get him that, I don't know, maybe hasn't played yet, that you're not, that is a kind of a low ceiling, higher floor guy, I might consider it. But you're not going to be able to do much because uh, he still had those seven assists, and I don't think anybody's getting upset with Poole after one game where he couldn't throw a stone in the ocean. Klay Thompson, 18 points on 13 shots. It's going to be mostly threes for him this year, and that's fine. He was sort of plodding along. He did not make the old man squad because he's, his minutes are going to be held in pretty good check, at least through the first part of the season. Um, he'll ramp up. He would be a potential buy low candidate, actually, if someone's like, ah, I'm tired of Clay not playing that many minutes. Consider it. Uh, and then all the centers for the Warriors are all splitting minutes, so that's a that's a disaster zone. Um, Dante DiVincenzo is is beyond deep league appeal, um, and it's you know the usual suspects. Michael Green's a deep league kind of guy. Kevon Looney, deeper league kind of guy, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I think we were all more interested in seeing if anything could emerge on the Lakers side, and with the Dennis Schroeder injury news, I think that thing that's emerging is Patrick Beverly, who prior to the Schroeder injury. It seemed like Pat Bev would be coming off the bench for the Lakers, and even if he even if he had the starting job, he was looking at you know twenty two to twenty four minutes per game. With Schroeder out, Bev's going to see a whole lot of playing time. Now he was in really awful foul trouble for most of last night, so that actually might have created a little window where yeah, you know, four steals and two blocks that's going to blow things up, and he's going to get added in a lot of leagues. But it's also possible that he remains a free agent in a bunch of spots because he didn't score. He took five three-pointers. He only made one of them. He only got credit for two rebounds, even though he kind of control-tipped a few out on the offensive side. So all of those little things kind of conspired to keep what 
could have actually been a pretty interesting fantasy game for him and turned it into an ugly one. Aside from the steals and blocks. First of all, six defensive stats is awesome. That's a guy that should be on rosters regardless of what else they do in a game. However, if you look at all the other stuff, foul trouble. He only played 24 and change minutes. If he's not in foul trouble, he's at least at 27. Probably 30, given the way yesterday went. If he doesn't shoot one for five, and if he's out there for an extra five or six minutes, he probably gets another three-pointer, at least attempts one. So maybe he's going, what, two for six from three, three for six on a good night, alternates between those two, six, nine points. That's obviously not going to move the needle very much, but two or three three-pointers, that would. Rebounds. Usually he's going to get a few because he's in there fighting with it. Now he's going to be kind of... He and Russell Westbrook are both going to be the guards fighting for rebounding on this team. Uh, but it'll usually be higher than two. Assists are going to be kind of low because he's not a primary ball handler. But steals and blocks, that's going to be his job on this team. So expect big defensive stats, some threes, some rebounds. I like that out-of-position stuff you're going to get from Bev. I would recommend him, at least while Schroeder's out, and it sounds like that'll be at least three weeks, probably more, this, again, probably better for Roto because we know at some point Beverly's back or his knee is going to act up because that's just kind of how it is when he's playing as hard as he does at his age. But certainly for Roto, even maybe for head-to-head for a couple of weeks here, you've got kind of a nice little streaming window. So if you have somebody, if you have somebody at the end of your bench that's just not at all inspiring, uh, I'm, I'm a fan of what we saw out of Beverly last night. Otherwise, on the Lakers, it was uh, business as usual. LeBron, 31-14-8. La-di-da. AD, 27-6, four steals, one block. Russ was actually weirdly efficient in yesterday's game. I don't think that that's a thing that keeps up long-term. I think, ultimately, they trade him anyway. Um, You know, if you can sell Russell Westbrook after one good game, have at it. I do think we see more Kendrick Nunn as he gets his legs underneath him because he was very clearly the Lakers best player who didn't get starters minutes. You know, Lonnie Walker saw a bunch of playing time, and he actually wasn't terrible yesterday. Um, but none is better. Kendrick Nunn is better. The Lakers are going to need offense on this team. And Kendrick Nunn, I might even argue, is the third best offensive player on the team behind the two superstars. Because at least he can shoot. And I would argue he was the Lakers' best shooter yesterday which is a pretty easy argument to win when you consider the fact he had three three-pointers and went five for nine from the field overall. None is going to be a really good fit on this team, as is Patrick Beverly, and I'm just kind of waiting to see, like, if this team does make the Westbrook trade, what does that leave them? Does that end up with Miles Turner and Buddy Heald? Because then, and if Schroeder comes back, then you've got another weird thing in the mix. He's not a great shooter, but he's okay. Schroeder the shooter. Uh, either way, Lakers are going to need to figure out a way to get Kendrick Nunn on the floor pretty much as much as possible right now because the floor spacing in yesterday's game was just hideous. Hideous. I mean, the Lakers bench, what did they, like, Nunn hit three three three-pointers. The rest of the bench combined to hit two. Max Christie hit one in garbage time. Matt Ryan hit one in 18 minutes. Austin Reeves missed all of his three-point tries. Um, AD, I think, did he take some of it? I mean, and then you look at the starters, too. Patrick Beverly going one for five. Like, there's just no shooting on this team. But they did defend a little bit better. The problem, of course, is that if you can't ever make a shot, your opponent is going to have opportunities to run. 
And the Lakers had 21 turnovers. Not Again, not much of a surprise when you consider the roster turnover, but way too many opportunities for the Warriors to get out and get easier looks. In the half court, the Lakers actually defended okay. I think this is a game that, for L.A., they got to look at it and say, like, our shot selection wasn't great, but we missed them all. Defensively, we really weren't that bad. There was hustle, there was effort. And, like, if not for the fact that like, the Warriors can actually shoot, they might have hung in there a little bit. I'm cautiously optimistic, but a trade does need to come. And it's not because Russ was bad. He was actually decent in this ballgame. He's just, like, with the fact that AD can no longer shoot jump shots, so he's not really a floor spacer anymore. With, like, playing him at the five, I get it. Defensively, it's good. Rebounding-wise, it's not good for the Lakers. Offensively, yeah, it does create a little bit of room, but, like, is Thomas Bryant a better shooter than AD right now? That's a pretty reasonable question. Does putting AD at center and then allowing the Lakers to start an extra guard, basically, does that actually help that much with spacing? Not if the guard is Westbrook. That dude has no space built. Like, if the, if the idea was play Anthony Davis at the five so that you could start, I don't know, none... Kendrick Nunn, get him in there for some spacing, then maybe it kind of makes sense, but, like, Westbrook would need to come off the bench in that spot, which he probably should be doing anyway. Whatever. Not fantasy-related. I got going, as I usually do. That part of the show took long. We're not going to spend that much time on each game on a, a given night. Uh, You know, most of the time... You know, we'll get through each game in just a couple of minutes, but I figured with only two, we could kind of get a little bit weird on it. In any event, hey, opportunity to tell you guys about another one of our amazing partners here at Sports Ethos, and that's our buddies over at ThriveFantasy.com and the Thrive Fantasy app. In fact, they have a $50,000 guaranteed contest tonight. It's just $20 to enter, and the first place winner takes home 10 grand. Woof. And for a limited time, if you use the promo code ethos, E-T-H-O-S, new users can get a deposit match bonus up to $250. It is the biggest number that Thrive will ever offer, and they're just offering it to our customers here at Sports Ethos. So again, thrivefantasy.com, use the promo code ethos, and get a deposit match bonus up to $250. If you've never messed around with our buddies over at Thrive Fantasy, let me tell you a few quick things about it. Number one, listen to our DFS Today podcast. Those guys give out their Thrive Plays of the Day on the show. So even if you're kind of confused, like, how do I play this game? Our guys can just walk you through it and get you some easy wins along the way. But basically, it's prop betting. That's what it is. It's not traditional DFS. I suck at traditional DFS. And psh, don't tell anybody, I kind of hate it. I kind of hate it. It it makes my brain go... Thrive isn't that. It's prop bets. You get 20 available player props to build your lineup, and you pick 10 over or under. Each prop, based on how likely it is to happen, is assigned a certain number of points. If you pick the difficult ones and they hit, you get more points. If you pick the easy ones and they hit, you get fewer points. Rack up the most points out of your 10 calls, win the prize. Again, promo code is ethos at thrivefantasy.com or the Thrive Fantasy app on the iTunes App Store 
or Google Play Drive Fantasy prop up today with our buddies over there. Oh, very excited about having them back for another season. So this is season number two for Thrive. This is season number three for Manscaped and ExpressVPN. That, by the way, first of all, thank you to our, our partners, is a sign of them trusting us and us having success here on the show. You guys are using their products. You're enjoying their products. They're coming back and they're saying, we want to keep working with you. So thank you to the listeners. Thank you to our partners. Let's do the next part of today's show, which is the look ahead. And it's a little bit complicated because everybody's playing today. Actually, I think it's 12. Forget. I believe it's 12 games. So there are, right, just two teams that uh, don't play until tomorrow. Who the hell are they? Clippers, Bucks? Is that right? Clippers, Bucks, tomorrow? Those two teams don't go first two days of the season? Oh, that stinks. Sorry to Clippers and Bucks fans. You guys have to wait all that extra time. But everybody else is going today. And so then... What I want you guys to do is get in the habit. And this is, again, more important as you get into the middle part of the season. It's less important right now. And the reason it's less important right now is that I don't want you making rash decisions. As we get into the meat of the fantasy season, we're going to be making decisions that we've been kind of pre-planned. So pretend... Come with me on this journey of imagination. Pretend for a moment that it's December right now instead of October. Everything that I'm about to say is assuming today is December. If we were looking at this 12-game card in December, there would be four or five things on the card that I'm like, look, if this thing happens, it's going to trigger a move. On day two of the season, there's almost nothing that could happen that would trigger a mid-game move. Something maybe at the end of the card, like if we have someone on our fantasy teams who just clearly isn't going to play, and someone else emerges that is, yeah, I mean, you can make that flip at some point later on tonight. But like, let's just take one of the first games on the card. Washington at Indiana is, I think, technically the first game to tip tonight, although the game in Detroit might tip sooner. It depends on which PA announcer goes faster in uh, either Indianapolis or Detroit. Let's say Washington-Indiana is the first game on the card. There are absolutely things we're looking for in that game. Uh, more so on the Indiana side than on Washington. I think with the Wizards, you know, you're kind of watching to see what Monte Morris's role is going to look like. You're kind of watching to see what's going to go on at the small forward spot with Washington. So there's, like, there's these little things kicking around. How much is Kuz going to get to do now that the, the stars are healthy? Little stuff. But, you know, like, Monte Morris is on fantasy teams. I don't think he's going to have that big of a year. Uh, I just, like, I kind of don't think it's in his DNA to go out there and just be a scorer. But there may be times where he's out there without Beal or Chris Dobbs or maybe without Kuz, and then he can kind of go and get his a little bit. But there's more stuff to watch for on the Indiana side. Like, we want to see what Jalen Smith is going to look like. We want to see what Isaiah Jackson is going to do with Miles Turner still in town. We want to see what Chris Duarte's role is with Buddy Heald still in town. And, you know, they might play together, but, like, let's be honest, if Heald was gone, Duarte's role would be a lot bigger. Uh, we want to see what Halliburton's going to do in terms of shooting versus passing. I would personally like to know what TJ McConnell's job is going to be on the Pacers this year. I think he's a deep, deep sleeper that could actually kind of wake up a little bit if, say, Halliburton takes a game off. I think McConnell's the starting point guard if Tyrese misses a night. 
there's a lot going on with the Pacers, but there's nothing that I could see at halftime that would make me go, oh yeah, I'm changing everything I think about this team. Because right now, I'll just tell you, I mean, we talked about it throughout the whole preseason, why not today? I think Isaiah Jackson's going to have a really good year. I think he plays enough, even with Miles Turner in town, to have fantasy value. I think Jalen Smith is going to have a really good year, and I think the Miles Turner stuff actually is less important for him because it sounds like they'll start together, at least at times. I think Duarte probably does need a buddy-heeled move to have fantasy value because his game is not that fantasy-friendly. I think Buddy Heald is going to have pretty damn good numbers as long as he stays in Indiana. And I think Tyrese Halliburton is a turn-level per-game producer this season with a little bit of upside if they do continue to move pieces away and then he has to shoot a little bit more. But we shall see. But, like, if we get to halftime, and let's say, uh, hypothetically, um, Duarte plays 12 minutes in the first half and has six points, two boards, and an assist— I'm not going to change how I feel about him based on that first half. I already am not that excited about him. As long as the veterans, whoever they call them, as long as those guys are still there, I'm not that excited about Duarte. But I do see that there's some nice built-in upside if pieces get moved. So him playing 12 minutes before halftime doesn't really change my... Like, same deal. If Isaiah Jackson plays nine minutes in the first half, that doesn't change the way I feel about him because he really only needs 20 minutes to have fantasy value anyway, which he'll almost definitely get, regardless of how many big men are still floating around on that team, and that upside is just so ridiculous. Like, I would have to see weeks of Jackson playing 15 minutes for me to consider not hanging on to that dude. So that's why, if this was December, and we had watched Chris Duarte play 23 minutes a game for a couple of months at that point, yeah, like, then you maybe start to change your opinion a little bit to say, all right, screw it, like, there's, what's the point? Or maybe a better example would be Jackson. Like, let's say he only plays 14 minutes a game for two months, and you're like, all right, well, clearly we just need Miles Turner to move. Okay, then maybe you start to rethink it. I don't think that stuff is going to happen on the Jackson front in particular, but my point is four weeks eight weeks of data is very different than a quarter, a half of a basketball game. So we look towards tonight's games to kind of get validation on certain ideas to start to build a portfolio on players that we are interested in keeping tabs on. But almost nothing that could happen tonight that would trigger me to make a mid-game rash roster move on what is effectively the real NBA opening night. With that in mind, and with now the pod running up on 40 minutes, let's very quickly look at the 12 games tonight and tell you what we should probably be considering. We already did Washington, Indiana. Orlando is at Detroit. There's a lot to look at in Orlando. What's the guard rotation going to be like? What does that mean for Jalen Suggs, Cole Anthony, Is Jonathan Isaac going to appear on a basketball court at some point? What's the deal with Mo Bamba? Is he going to start? Is he not? How many minutes does that mean he gets? I mean, I think we kind of know the deal with Paolo Boncaro, but we're sort of interested in what his fantasy stat set looks like as he works his way through his rookie season. There's a billion things going on with the Magic that you can't just pare it down to one. Similarly with Detroit, there's quite a lot going on. Like, what is Boyan Bogdanovich doing on this team? (laughs) It's actually not even a fantasy question. That's just a question that I would walk up to a friend and say, hey, what is Boyan Bogdanovich doing on this team? 
but there's other stuff as well, because there's Durin, there's, uh, there's Ivy, there's Cade, there's Sadiq Bey, there's so many moving pieces, especially on these younger, not-so-great basketball teams that you're trying to figure out who's where. Cleveland at Toronto. Um, yeah, not, a, not as much there, I think. Maybe just trying to get a feel for what does Evan Mobley look like in year two. I'm kind of fading it. I'm not fading Mobley. I'm fading the he's suddenly a top 30 per game player thing. Uh, but, you know, what does Jared Allen look like coming back? How did Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland play together? Is Karis LeVert a thing? Seems unlikely, but we can watch it as well. Toronto, when the starters are healthy, you know exactly what you're getting out of that team. Chicago-Miami, that was one of the news pieces of the day, and I kind of waited to drop it in here. Zach Levine is out for probably the first two games of the year for the Bulls. Left knee injury management. That is a scary thing to hear before your team has played a single ball game. But at least we likely know he's out for two days, so whatever we see in this ball game, you can apply to game two. I love doing that with streaming here at the beginning of the year. First of all, like if you're going to stream in a head-to-head league on opening night, you're a crazy person because I think you probably should at least look at the guys you drafted. But, you know, whatever. Like, him being out means a whole lot more for Io DeSumo, probably some more for Kobe White, definitely more for Vooch. He's going to be heavily involved. I don't know how much more it means for Pat Williams, but we'll certainly know more by the end of this ballgame, and you can apply that knowledge basically any time that Levine sits out a ballgame going forward. This is a great data point to get on opening night. I'm not that interested in Miami. I think I pretty much know what they are. But we'll see if any surprises emerge. New Orleans, I would love to know what Jonas Valanciunas is going to do this year. I faded him a little bit. I didn't get him anywhere because I I wanted to take him like about a round later than he was going. But it's hard right now, you know? Like big men that have good percentages and can rebound are hard to find, and then he doesn't really block shots. So the JV love has worn off a little bit for me, but I'm sure he'll be fine. Like there's enough of a floor. His fantasy game is a very high floor game, but then like, Zion, Brandon Ingram, C.J. McCollum, Herb Jones. There's a lot to watch in New Orleans. Similarly in Brooklyn, does anybody else get to do anything besides the big names? That's the question there. Rockets, there's the other piece of news of the day. Kind of buried the lead a little bit. It's possible, that's the report out of Houston, it's possible that Bruno Fernando might start over Alperen Sengun tonight woof and this is why you don't go super early on the buzzy names shango's still gonna be fine this year by the way like he'll still get some stuff but man losing the starting job would be a real punch to the nards to start the season but then you're also watching the rest of the rockets how does jalen green look this year how does jabari smith jr look this year or is it now the second i don't know we'll find out i'll watch listen to the game a little bit and maybe we'll Learn a little more about what uh, the official title is. We want to get that thing right. You always want to get the players' names right. That's it's important. They're all broadcastery thing. Is there anything else going on in Houston that we should be paying attention to? There really could be. A lot of Kevin Porter Jr. I'm a little bit less bearish on him this year. Hawks, we get to see our first Trey and DeJounte Murray stuff together. What does it mean for John Collins' value? What's going on at center with Capella and Okongwu? Knicks, Grizzlies, that should be a fun one. Interested in Brandon Clark on the Memphis side. 
interested in pretty much everybody on the Knicks side. Like, this is why this is kind of a hard exercise, because a lot of teams are like, everything. Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, et cetera, et cetera. Mitch Robb, Isaiah Hartenstein. Oh, boy. Oklahoma City. Who the hell is even on that team? Someone might emerge. Williams, Mann, Poku. Minnesota. Okay, finally we got one where there isn't, like, an ad drop question. It's really more of just, like, what does a Gobert cat frontcourt actually look like? Charlotte. There are some questions there with no LaMelo for a little bit. I think we can all agree Terry Rozier is going to get a little bit wild. What is Kelly Oubre going to look like? Will it change a ton when LaMelo comes back? What about the center spot? Questions abound. Is Gordon Hayward healthy enough to make it through a game, a week, a month? Spurs, the young guys, Trey Jones, Keldon Johnson, Devin Vassell. How do they fit in? How many minutes are they going to see? Are they going to get yanked around? The Nuggets, the return of the many Nuggets. The tanking Jazz, Kelly Olynyk. What does he look like here? Jared Vanderbilt. What's Conley going to do here with Utah? I mean, there's so many questions going into this thing. The Blazers, the new-look Blazers. How does Jeremy Grant look? What does Anthony Simons look like? Now with Dame back. Nurk, you heard from Josh Lloyd. Bit out of shape coming into the year. What does that mean for Portland? The good vibes at Sacramento Kings. Keegan Murray is a question mark. What is he going to look like this year? Does fantasy value in Sacramento extend beyond the two main guys? Can Harrison Barnes get it fired up? Dallas, what's Christian Wood's role? What's JaVale McGee's role? Is anybody else going to be able to do stuff besides Luka? And then the Bad Vibes Phoenix Suns, what do they look like this year? I'll tell you, a win over Dallas, avenging the playoff defeat, would do a lot to calm things. But, like, what about sad DeAndre Ayton? Cam Johnson is a player to watch. Does Mikael Bridges get to do more with no Jay Crowder around? What does Chris Paul look like here in, you know, season number 25 or whatever it is? So there's so much going on tonight. It's why you can't really make those big gut reactions here to start the year, but there's so many cool plot lines, and it's going to give us our first data point on all of this stuff, and I am so excited to get into this first big Wednesday. This is when the fun really kicks in. So let's have a blast. I'll talk to you guys on social media. Again, it's at Dan Bespris. Hit me up if you want to be part of our recruiting call here. We're still looking for folks that want to break into the fantasy industry in any of the major sports. We're looking for DFS and full season. And if there's something else you're just really good at and you're like, Sports Ethos doesn't do that, hit me up. Who knows? Or email roster at sportsethos.com. That's another way to do it. Again, it's at Dan Vespers on Twitter. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. Uh, we'll be doing some more What to Watch for and news stuff on social. So I will talk to you over there. So long. So long.